Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. At SLRC, they understand your dream to move. Moving up, moving on, moving your body, moving mountains. SLRC can help you find the focus to define your finish line. As a top 10 run shop in America, they use their 25 years of experience to provide custom shoe fit analysis and offer a premium assortment of footwear and workout essentials. Locally owned, locally operated. SLRC is movement inspired. Visit saltlakerunning.com to schedule your shoe fitting today. Host of Eden Season 2, Episode 5, Time to Say Goodbye. Last time on Host of Eden Season 2, Johnny agrees to have Special Agent Barnhart transferred into his body in order to save him. After the transfer, they'll have to get the body of the 10-year-old girl back in time for her funeral. Again, we find them all still in the basement. Marion has just completed the transfer of Agent Barnhart into the body of Johnny. Colby slowly opens his eyes and looks around. But something is wrong. He looks around and he can see Johnny. And he realizes he's still in the body of the 10-year-old girl. What happened, he says. It didn't work. What went wrong? Marion is confused. She tries to complete the transfer again. It still doesn't work. Marion tries over and over again, and nothing happens. She signals for Mason to try it himself, and it still won't work. What is it, Johnny asks. Why isn't it working? We don't know, Marion explains. We've only done this a couple of times. Can you fix it, Colby asks. Marion indicates that she just does not know. After a while, they give up on their attempts. Marion goes to contact the president to update him, and Johnny, Colby, and Mason begin to comb through the archives to see if they can find any information that can help them. The next day, we find them all gathered around the kitchen table. They're all eating a meal and discussing what needs to be done next. Marion explains the wishes of the president. So the president thinks that our only choice is to find out everything that Colby knows and then transfer him out of the girl and return her to the family as soon as possible. Wait, Johnny asks, transfer him into where? 
Marion explains back into Genesis, into a new host, to start a new life. That's the only way to get that body back to the family in time. Johnny's still confused, but we just tried to move him. He wouldn't budge. If you can't transfer him out using Genesis, then you're going to have to kill him. Like, really kill him. Marion realizes that Johnny is correct. She looks over at Colby. You're right, she says. We're going to have to kill you again. Colby, of course, is not happy about this. Wait a minute. I, I don't like this. Mason interrupts. We could use poison. Then Johnny chimes in. What about suffocation? Colby doesn't like where this conversation is going, and he tries to speak up, but gets interrupted again. Mason says, no, 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 we don't we don't want to make it painful. Why not just put him in the garage, you know, with the Bronco, and then close the garage door? Perfect, Johnny says. Then he'll just fall asleep, and the body isn't damaged at all. Colby, by this time, has had enough, finally yells to interrupt them. Stop it, stop it, he says. What if I don't want to die? Colby, who is trapped in the body of a 10-year-old girl, stomps his feet and runs out of the room, up the stairs, and slams the bedroom door. Marion yells up the stairs after her, or him, You come back here! We're not done! You better! Mason grabs her arm and interrupts. The look on his face reminds her that she's talking to an adult, not a 10-year-old child. Marion is frustrated. I don't think I'll ever get used to all this. Mason tries to calm her down. It's okay. He'll get used to the idea. Just give him some time. He doesn't have a choice. Marion says, it's not that simple. We're supposed to protect life, not take it. I'm not going to kill that 10-year-old girl. Mason tries to explain, she's already dead. She already died, Marion. And for all intents and purposes, he's dead too. His body is dead. No, Marion says, he's alive. And he wants to stay alive. If he's willing to go back into Genesis, that would be one thing. But if he wants to live, then we need to find a way to make that happen. I'm not going to kill him. Then Johnny chimes in. Wait a minute. Think about it. She or he, she's like the perfect secret agent. No one would ever suspect a 10-year-old girl. He could be a real asset in that body. Mason thinks about it for a minute. Let's just for a minute say that I'm willing to go along with this. There's still a family out there that is expecting to bury their daughter this weekend. Johnny seems to be full of ideas. We could drug him, put him in the casket for the viewing, and then take him out before the internment. That would never work, Mason says. They would see him breathing, even if he was drugged. Well, maybe we can get them to have a closed casket then, Johnny asks. Marion indicates that from what she knows, the family would never go for it. There's only one way, Mason says. He's going to have to sit as still as he can in that casket. We can run interference to give him time to breathe. But this is a huge risk. Now Marion is totally frustrated. Oh, you can't be serious. Johnny's still with more ideas. Why can't we just have the president make something up, like some kind of quarantine or disease or something like that? Because, Johnny, Marion says, the president was very clear. He wants us to return the body and send Colby 
into the Genesis device. He was very clear about that. Wait, Mason asked. You mean we're not going to tell the president about this? I don't see how, Marion says. Well, Mason says, it looks as though we have a funeral to plan. few days later, we find Covenant inside a church house. Family and friends of the 10-year-old girl are gathered in the viewing room. The casket is located in the front of the room. Marion, Mason, and Johnny are standing near the casket to run interference if needed. Getting to this moment was no easy feat. First, they had to get help from the president, who had the Secret Service contact the mortuary. They informed the company that the 10-year-old was part of a top-secret investigation. Because of this, they still needed the body of the 10-year-old for potential evidence, but needed the public to believe that she was interned. This ruse allowed them to access the casket before and after the viewing so that they could get the 10-year-old in and out without the knowledge of the family. This also allowed Marion, Mason, and Johnny the ability to present themselves as funeral home employees at the funeral. The president was not aware of the get the body out afterwards part of the plan. Colby has spent the last few days practicing breathing techniques that would hide the fact that he is still alive. Now that he's sitting in the casket, trying to be as still as possible, he is realizing that this was a very bad idea. Marion is having the same thoughts. This is the craziest thing we have done so far, she says to Mason quietly. What are we going to do if they realize she is still alive? That's not going to happen, Mason says. We just have to get through the next few minutes and we're all done. As they stand there, one person after another makes their way to the little girl, many with tears streaming down their cheeks. It takes Colby every ounce of control to hold perfectly still and control his breathing. One of the tears from the family lands on his face and begins to move down the side of his cheek. He wants so desperately to wipe it away, but cannot. Marion notices the tear and quickly wipes it away. Colby is relieved. Anytime there was a gap between people viewing the body, Marion would tap lightly on the casket. This was a signal for Colby that he could take a larger breath. Mason would tap with his key lightly, and that would mean that somebody was approaching. Then the mother of the little girl approaches. Tears are running down her face. She says, oh, she looks so alive. I can't believe she's gone. She gently strokes the little girl's hair. Colby is using everything he has not to move. He finds himself overwhelmed emotionally by the mother's tears, which surprises him. Part of him wants to jump out of the casket and ease the pain of his mother. Colby never had any children, but he finds the emotional stress of the situation almost unbearable. After a few moments, the family members make their way to the chapel where the memorial service will be heard. The moment the casket is closed, Colby takes in a giant deep breath with gratitude. They survived without being discovered. The casket is then rolled into the chapel and Colby is forced to sit there in the dark 
until the service is over. This would be fine, except for the fact that Colby suddenly has to go to the bathroom. As an adult, he had no problem holding it in for long periods of time. But the body of this 10-year-old just is not cooperating. He is legitimately concerned about whether or not he can hold it. He starts writhing inside the casket, which causes it to move slightly as it sits in front of everyone in the service. Marion and Mason notice that the casket is moving. She gets up and goes to adjust the flowers on the casket, as though nothing was happening. She feels the casket move a few more times, but is not sure what's happening inside. She sits down in the front row with her feet braced up against the base of the casket to steady it just in case. After what seems like an eternity, the service is finally over. At which point the pallbearers come up to both sides of the casket to take it to the hearse to be transferred to the cemetery. This was not part of the plan. They were supposed to have a moment in the back room with the casket so that they could get Colby out with nobody seeing. But it's too late. Colby and the casket are already being loaded into the back of the hearse. Fortunately, Johnny is driving the vehicle and Marion gets into the passenger seat. They drive ahead of the funeral procession. Marion climbs into the back to open the casket and she pounds on it to see if, if Colby's okay. It's okay, she says. We're in the hearse now. Hold on and I'll get you out of there. I have to pee, Colby says. All Marion hears is mumbling. What? I have to pee, Colby says. Marion can't understand him. She tries to open the casket, but it's shut tight. I can't open it, she says. It's stuck. Johnny, what do I do? You have to use the special key. It screws closed, Johnny explains. Where's the key, Marion asks. I don't have it, Johnny says. Why would I have it? Marion gets on her mobile phone and calls Mason, who is in the car following them. We need the key to get him out. Where is it? I have it right here, Mason says. What good is it going to do me there, Marion demands. We can't get him out, and they're taking him to the cemetery to be buried. Colby's now yelling and pounding on the insides of the casket. Get me out of here. I have to pee. Mason says, oh, crap. What are we going to do, Marion asks. There's nothing we can do, Mason explains. We're just going to have to wait until everyone leaves, and then we'll have to go down and get him out. Marion tries to explain what is happening to Colby, but all he hears is mumbling. He continues to bang on the sides, but as soon as he feels the car stop moving, he stops knowing that he would soon be in view of the funeral attendees. After a brief service at the graveside, the casket is lowered into the gravesite. Colby can sense that the casket is being lowered, and he begins to panic. But he can't do anything about it for fear of exposing that he is alive. After a few minutes, people begin to get into their vehicles and leave. But the closest family members remain and continue to cry over the gravesite. After several more long and tense moments, the family slowly makes its way into their vehicles and they drive away. Looking around to make sure the coast is clear, Mason jumps into the grave and begins to open the casket. 
he finally manages to get the top open. It's about time, Colby says. What happened? Mason is distracted. He says, what is that smell? Colby responds, I couldn't hold it, okay? Next time on Host of Eden Season 2, the team finally gets about the business of figuring out who the stranger is that attacked the base and that can transfer from one body to the next. Meanwhile, that suspect strikes again. What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com.